Section fifty five of Montcalm and Wolfe by Francis Parkman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty five, part one, seventeen fifty nine. Wolfe at Quebec. In early spring, the chiefs of Canada met at Montreal to settle a plan of defence. What at first they most dreaded was an advance of the enemy by way of Lake Champlain. Bourlamaque, with three battalions, was ordered to take post at Ticonderoga, hold it if he could, or if overcome by numbers, fall back to Isle aux Noix, at the outlet of the lake. La Corne was sent with a strong detachment to entrench himself at the head of the rapids of the St. Lawrence, and oppose any hostile movement from Lake Ontario. Every able-bodied man in the colony, and every boy who could fire a gun, was to be called into the field. Vaudreuil sent a circular letter to the militia captains of all the parishes, with orders to read it to the parishioners. It exhorted them to defend their religion, their wives, their children, and their goods from the fury of the heretics, declared that he, the governor, would never yield up Canada on any terms whatever, and ordered them to join the army at once, leaving none behind but the old, the sick, the women, and the children. The bishop issued a pastoral mandate. On every side, dearest brethren, the enemy is making immense preparations. His forces, at least six times more numerous than ours, are already in motion. Never was Canada in a state so critical and full of peril. Never were we so destitute or threatened with an attack so fierce, so general, and so obstinate. Now, in truth, we may say, more than ever before, that our only resource is the powerful succor of our Lord. Then, dearest brethren, make every effort to deserve it. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. And he reproves their sins, exhorts them to repentance, and ordains processions, masses, and prayers. Vaudreuil bustled and boasted. In May he wrote to the minister, The zeal with which I am animated for the service of the king will always make me surmount the greatest obstacles. I am taking the most proper measures to give the enemy a good reception whenever he may attack us. I keep in view the defense of Quebec. I have given orders in the parishes below to muster the inhabitants who are able to bear arms, and place women, cattle, and even hay and grain in places of safety. Permit me, Monseigneur, to beg you to have the goodness to assure His Majesty that, to whatever hard extremity I may be reduced, my zeal will be equally ardent and indefatigable, 
and that i shall do the impossible to prevent our enemies from making progress in any direction or at least to make them pay extremely dear for it then he writes again to say that amherst with a great army will as he learns attack ticonderoga that bradstreet with six thousand men will advance to lake ontario and that six thousand more will march to the ohio whatever progress they may make he adds i am resolved to yield them nothing but hold my ground even to annihilation he promises to do his best to keep on good terms with montcalm and ends with a warm eulogy of bigot it was in the midst of all these preparations that bougainville arrived from france with news that a great fleet was on its way to attack quebec the town was filled with consternation mixed with surprise for the canadians had believed that the dangerous navigation of the st lawrence would deter their enemies from the attempt everybody writes one of them was stupefied at an enterprise that seemed so bold in a few days a crowd of sails was seen approaching they were not enemies but friends it was the fleet of the contractor cadet commanded by an officer named cannon and loaded with supplies for the colony they anchored in the harbor eighteen sail in all and their arrival spread universal joy admiral durrell had come too late to intercept them catching but three stragglers that lagged behind the rest still others succeeded in eluding him and before the first of june five more ships had come safely into port when the news brought by bougainville reached montreal nearly the whole force of the colony except the detachments of bourlamaque and la corne was ordered to quebec montcalm hastened thither and vaudreuil followed the governor-general wrote to the minister in his usual strain as if all the hope of canada rested in him such he says was his activity that though very busy he reached quebec only a day and a half after montcalm and on arriving learned from his scouts that english ships of war had already appeared at isle aux coudres these were the squadron of durrell i expect vaudreuil goes on to be sharply attacked and that our enemies will make their most powerful efforts to conquer this colony but there is no ruse no resource no means which my zeal does not suggest to lay snares for them and finally when the exigency demands it to fight them with an ardour and even a fury which exceeds the range of their ambitious designs the troops the canadians and the indians are not ignorant of the resolution i have taken and from which i shall not recoil under any circumstance whatsoever the burghers of this city have already put their goods and furniture in places of safety 
the old men women and children hold themselves ready to leave town my firmness is generally applauded it has penetrated every heart and each man says aloud canada our native land shall bury us under its ruins before we surrender to the english this is decidedly my own determination and i shall hold to it inviolably he launches into high praise of the contractor cadet whose zeal for the service of the king and the defence of the colony he declares to be triumphant over every difficulty it is necessary he adds that ample supplies of all kinds should be sent out in the autumn with the distribution of which cadet offers to charge himself and to account for them at their first cost but he does not say what prices his disinterested friend will compel the destitute canadians to pay for them five battalions from france nearly all the colony troops and the militia from every part of canada poured into quebec along with a thousand or more indians who at the call of vaudreuil came to lend their scalping knives to the defence such was the ardour of the people that boys of fifteen and men of eighty were to be seen in the camp isle aux coudray and isle d'orleans were ordered to be evacuated and an excited crowd on the rock of quebec watched hourly for the approaching fleet days passed and weeks passed yet it did not appear meanwhile vaudreuil held council after council to settle a plan of defence they were strange scenes a crowd of officers of every rank mixed pell-mell in a small room pushing shouting elbowing each other interrupting each other till montcalm in despair took each aside after the meeting was over and made him give his opinion in writing he himself had at first proposed to encamp the army on the plains of abraham and the meadows of the st charles making that river his line of defence but he changed his plan and with the concurrence of vaudreuil resolved to post his whole force on the st lawrence below the city with his right resting on the st charles and his left on the montmorency here accordingly the troops and the militia were stationed as they arrived early in june standing at the northeastern brink of the rock of quebec one could have seen the whole position at a glance on the curving shore from the st charles to the rocky george of the montmorency a distance of seven or eight miles the whitewashed dwellings of the parish of beauport stretched down the road in a double chain and the fields on both sides were studded with tents huts and indian wigwams along the borders of the st lawrence as far as the eye could distinguish them gangs of men were throwing up redoubts batteries and lines of entrenchment about halfway between the two extremities of the encampment 
ran the little river of Beauport, and on the rising ground just beyond it stood a large stone house, round which the tents were thickly clustered, for here Montcalm had made his headquarters. A boom of logs, chained together, was drawn across the mouth of the St. Charles, which was further guarded by two hulks mounted with cannon. The bridge of boats that crossed the stream nearly a mile above formed the chief communication between the city and the camp. Its head, towards Beauport, was protected by a strong and extensive earthwork, and the banks of the stream on the Quebec side were also entrenched, to form a second line of defence in case the position at Beauport should be forced. In the city itself, every gate except the palace gate, which gave access to the bridge, was closed and barricaded. A hundred and six cannon were mounted on the walls. A floating battery of twelve heavy pieces, a number of gunboats, eight fireships, and several fire rafts formed the river defences. The largest merchantmen of Cannon's fleet were sacrificed to make the fireships, and the rest, along with the frigates that came with them, were sent for safety up the St. Lawrence beyond the river Richelieu, whence about a thousand of their sailors returned to man the batteries and gunboats. In the camps along the Beauport shore were about 14,000 men, besides Indians. The regulars held the centre. The militia of Quebec and Three Rivers were on the right, and those of Montreal on the left. In Quebec itself there was a garrison of between one and two thousand men under the Chevalier de Ramsey. Thus the whole number, including Indians, amounted to more than sixteen thousand, and though the Canadians who formed the greater part of it were of little use in the open field, they could be trusted to fight well beyond entrenchments. Against this force, posted behind defensive works, on positions almost impregnable by nature, Wolfe brought less than nine thousand men available for operations on land. The steep and lofty heights that lined the river made the cannon of the ships for the most part useless, while the exigencies of the naval service forbade employing the sailors on shore. In two or three instances only, throughout the siege, small squads of them landed to aid in moving and working cannon, and the actual fighting fell to the troops alone. Vaudreuil and Bigot took up their quarters with the army. The governor-general had delegated the command of the land forces to Montcalm, whom, in his own words, he authorized to give orders everywhere provisionally. His relations with him were more than ever anomalous and critical. For while Vaudreuil, in virtue of his office, had a right to supreme command, Montcalm, now a lieutenant-general, held a military grade far above him, and the governor, while always writing himself down in his dispatches as the head and front of every movement, 
had too little self-confidence not to leave the actual command in the hands of his rival days and weeks wore on and the first excitement gave way to restless impatience why did not the english come many of the canadians thought that heaven would interpose and wreck the english fleet as it had wrecked that of admiral walker half a century before there were processions prayers and vows towards this happy consummation food was scarce bigot and cadet lived in luxury fowls by thousands were fattened with wheat for their tables while the people were put on rations of two ounces of bread a day durrell and his ships were reported to be still at isle aux coudray vaudreuil sent thither a party of canadians and they captured three midshipmen who says montcalm had gone ashore poor polissonneur that is on a lark these youths were brought to quebec where they increased the general anxiety by grossly exaggerating the english force at length it became known that eight english vessels were anchored in the north channel of orleans and on the twenty first of june the masts of three of them could plainly be seen one of the fire-ships was consumed in a vain attempt to burn them and several fire-rafts and a sort of infernal machine were tried with no better success the unwelcome visitors still held their posts meanwhile the whole english fleet had slowly advanced piloted by denise de vitre a canadian of good birth captured at sea some time before and now compelled to serve under a threat of being hanged if he refused nor was he alone for when durrell reached the place where the river pilots were usually taken on board he raised a french flag to his masthead causing great rejoicing among the canadians on shore who thought that a fleet was come to their rescue and that their country was saved the pilots launched their canoes and came out to the ships where they were all made prisoners then the french flag was lowered and the red cross displayed in its stead the spectators on shore turned from joy to despair and a priest who stood watching the squadron with a telescope is said to have dropped dead with the revulsion of feeling towards the end of june the main fleet was near the mountain of cape torment the passage called the traverse between the cape and the lower end of the island of orleans was reputed one of the most dangerous parts of the st lawrence and as the ships successfully came up the captive pilots were put on board to carry them safely through on pain of death one of these men was assigned to the transport goodwill in which was captain knox who spoke french and who reports thus in his diary he gasconaded at a most extravagant rate and gave us to understand that it was much against his will that he was to become an english pilot the poor fellow assumed great latitude in his conversation and said he made no doubt that some of the fleet would return to england 
but they should have a dismal tale to carry with them for canada should be the grave of the whole army and he expected in a short time to see the walls of quebec ornamented with english scalps had it not been in obedience to the admiral who gave orders that he should not be ill-used he would certainly have been thrown overboard the master of the transport was an old sailor named killick who despised the whole gallic race and had no mind to see his ship in charge of a frenchman he would not let the pilot speak continues knox but fixed his mate at the helm charged him not to take orders from any person but himself and going forwards with his trumpet to the forecastle gave the necessary instructions all that could be said by the commanding officer and the other gentlemen on board was to no purpose the pilot declared we should be lost for that no french ship ever presumed to pass there without a pilot ay ay my dear replied our son of neptune but damn me i'll convince you that an englishman shall go where a frenchman dare not show his nose the richmond frigate being close astern of us the commanding officer called out to the captain and told him our case he inquired who the master was and was answered from the forecastle by the man himself who told him he was old killick and that was enough i went forward with this experienced mariner who pointed out the channel to me as we passed showing me by the ripple and colour of the water where there was any danger and distinguishing the places where there were ledges of rocks to me invisible from banks of sand mud or gravel he gave his orders with great unconcern joked with the sounding boats which lay off on each side with different coloured flags for our guidance and when any of them called to him and pointed to the deepest water he answered ay ay my dear chalk it down a damned dangerous navigation eh if you don't make a sputter about it you'll get no credit in england after we had cleared this remarkable place where the channel forms a complete zigzag the master called to his mate to give the helm to somebody else saying damn me if there are not a thousand places in the thames fifty times more hazardous than this i am ashamed that englishmen should make such a rout about it the frenchman asked me if the captain had not been there before I assured him in the negative upon which he viewed him with great attention, lifting at the same time his hands and eyes to heaven with astonishment and fervency. Vaudreuil was blamed for not planting cannon at a certain plateau on the side of the mountain of Cape Torment, where the gunners would have been inaccessible and whence they could have battered every passing ship with a plunging fire as it was the whole fleet sailed safely through on the twenty sixth they were all anchored off the south shore of the island of orleans a few miles from quebec and writes knox 
here we are entertained with a most agreeable prospect of a delightful country on every side windmills watermills churches chapels and compact farmhouses all built with stone and covered some with wood and others with straw the lands appear to be everywhere well cultivated and with the help of my glass i can discern that they are sowed with flax wheat barley peas etc and the grounds are enclosed with wooden pails the weather to-day is agreeably warm a light fog sometimes hangs over the highlands but in the river we have a fine clear air in the curve of the river while we were under sail we had a transient view of a stupendous natural curiosity called the waterfall of montmorency end of section fifty five